0: You're listening to Tech Talk Central.
1: We're really glad to have with us uh, Dr. Maria Candila. Uh, She's a researcher at the National Hellenic Research Foundation uh, at the Theoretical and Physical Chemistry Institute. Hello, Maria.
0: Hello, and uh, thank you for inviting me here.
1: Thanks uh, for coming. So, uh, your topic is laser and matter interaction. It's a very, very big uh, topic, isn't it?
0: Yes, it's a very broad uh, topic with uh, lots and lots of applications. Uh, what is
1: your specific, uh, specific applications that uh, you wanted to tell us about?
0: Sure. Uh, we are uh, mainly using a laser matter interaction as a nanotechnology tool. Uh, We're using lasers in order to modify the morphology of matter and to build uh, thin films or nanoparticles. What this means is that we're building uh, films which are a thousand times thinner than the human hair, for example, and nanoparticles which are tens of thousands of times uh, smaller than the human hair. Uh, we cannot see these uh, little things with our naked eye however uh, matter has uh, really novel properties at the nanoscale, and we take advantage of these properties uh, for applications uh, mainly uh, in our lab for applications mainly in energy mm-hmm. we're building the next generation of solar cells thin film solar cells and uh, applications in uh, uh, building sensors for uh, toxic and dangerous gases And also very sensitive sensors for gases which are contained in the human breath for the non-invasive detection of human diseases by analyzing the contents of the human breath.
1: Mm -hmm. And uh, what are the uses for all this?
0: Uh For uh, photovoltaics, uh, we want to... It's a big thing, this It's one. a very big thing, right? Mm-hmm. I think most people by now have heard of mm-hmm. uh, uh, clean energy sources and uh, renewable energy sources. Mm-hmm. And of course, the sun is an abundant energy source. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, still, the photovoltaics industry suffers from uh, high costs. Uh The photovoltaic panels uh, have high costs. And this makes uh, solar energy less competitive compared with other energy sources. So what we're trying to do is that we're now trying to build thin film solar cells, meaning that we will be using a very small amount of the Mm -hmm. material, Mm -hmm. so we won't have increased costs. Less material, less cost. Exactly. Uh, But what you compromise there is that you compromise efficiency, because the more material you use, the more you absorb the sunlight,
1: sunlight.
0: and then the more we can produce... So what is your trick? So our trick is to combine nanotechnology uh, with our thin film uh, Mm -hmm. solar cells. We embed metallic nanoparticles, so little particles, thousands of times smaller than the human hair, as I said, made of gold or silver. And we embed them in the thin film uh, solar cells which are made of traditional silicon like the macroscopic solar cells. Mm -hmm. And these metallic nanoparticles have the property that they enhance the absorption of sunlight by the solar cell material
1: but silver and gold are uh, quite expensive no?
0: yes but we use them in such small quantities uh, really trace quantities Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, they become an advantage uh, as Mm -hmm. opposed to a disadvantage Mm -hmm. Uh, so this also uh, gives us the opportunity uh, to use uh, cheaper forms of silicon such as amorphous silicon and not high quality crystalline silicon so overall we reduce the cost Mm -hmm. of the device. how much? uh we expect uh, we expect uh, solar cell technology to become competitive uh, this way with uh, the cheapest uh, forms of uh, mm-hmm. electrical uh, conver- electrical energy production mm-hmm. uh, so that uh, we can see a very a much bigger fraction of electricity being produced by solar panels in the future mm. that's good that's good then. About ah, the yes, moving on to another subject. Again, we're using uh, laser as a nanotechnology tool, as a tool of fabricating uh, devices uh, in the nanoscale uh, with uh, enhanced property when it comes to sensing the presence of uh, certain gases mm-hmm. uh, that we would be interested in uh, detecting. Mm-hmm. This could be, for example, uh, toxic or dangerous gases that we shouldn't inhale or that in uh, large quantities they can become flammable. Even hydrogen itself, for example, we have worked a lot with hydrogen sensors. Hydrogen is highly flammable. Exactly. Above a certain concentration Mm -hmm. it becomes uh, flammable. So because hydrogen is projected as a a, um, uh, fuel for the future, uh, maybe we will even have cars uh, running on uh, hydrogen. It would be very important to know when you have a leak mm-hmm. and whether you're in danger. It's also a gas that it is widely used in uh, many industrial processes, in uh, factories, Factors. exactly. Uh, so you want to know when you have a leak early on so that you don't waste hydrogen and also you don't put people's lives in danger. Uh, so you need sensors then. Are they expensive, these kind of sensors? Uh, no, I mean, uh, they would be, we are trying to make them again as cost-effective as uh, possible. Uh, so they can be everywhere? But... They can be everywhere. Yeah. We want them to be cost-effective. We want them to be lightweight. Uh, we want them to run on low power consumption, so mm-hmm. they are efficient in terms of energy. Uh, we want them to be uh, reliable in the long run. Uh, and uh, we would like them to be uh, as sensitive as possible of course so that you can start detecting a leak uh, or anything of interest uh, the earliest uh, as early as possible then, yes so. uh, this is one uh, line of uh, activity mm-hmm. uh, the other idea of uh, making uh, gas sensors is uh, to use them for medical purposes Our uh, breath contains uh, hundreds of uh, different gases in very, very small quantities, in trace quantities, as we call them. And uh, these gases are indicative of uh, certain metabolic or other biological functions inside the body. So if we are able to monitor Mm -hmm. the quantity of these gases in the human breath, then we would be able to... uh, to go on uh, to the early detection of certain diseases because it turns out that certain diseases are associated with increased levels of a gas in the human so it's breath. an early
1: detection system?
0: Early detection, non-invasive, non-invasive because you wouldn't have course. to take a blood or yes, you know yes. use a needle. Uh, for example, for patients, for diabetes patients, that mm-hmm. would be very important because you know how diabetes patients have to monitor their uh, blood glucose the blood, level. Yes. Uh, very frequently, and usually it, uh, it's done by finger pricking, uh, taking a little uh, bit of blood uh, from analyzing uh, yes. it. If you could do it by analyzing your breath, then you would have a non-invasive, uh, painless method of, uh, for example, monitoring your uh, glucose. Uh, so gas sensors are uh, promising for breath analysis, mm-hmm. which uh, mm-hmm. we think will be a very uh, important tool for uh, the are future are you in
1: a, an early stages but
0: uh, uh is yes the scientific community in general is at an early stage there are not many commercial mm-hmm. uh, actually almost none uh, commercial systems that you mm-hmm. can go to the hospital and uh, people uh, you know examine uh, your breath and uh, give your result uh, but it's now starting to develop,
1: develop yes.
0: and uh, i think it's going to be a much much bigger thing in the near future
1: in, in in the near, you mean five years, ten years,
0: uh, or even earlier? Probably five to ten years. Five to ten years. It's also a thing that you you would have to go through approvals mm-hmm. and uh, trials, and uh, trials. of course, it's going to take a little mm-hmm. bit. And I think this is the reason why there are not any products. That's good because it's not invasive. Yes, it's that's, not invasive. It's big, simple. It's relatively simple, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, yes, it, it can be very very mm-hmm. useful. Mm-hmm.
1: So, this method you are using, uh, laser uh, interaction with matter, is it an easy one or a difficult one or what? Uh,
0: it's Special uh, conditions? Yes, uh, I would say it's an, easy method in what sense it has some advantages mm-hmm. it's easy in what sense it doesn't need very very big equip, very very big infrastructure so mm-hmm. it means that uh, you don't need a very expensive uh, research center to work on these things you can do it in a room a tabletop experiment which is an advantage it means that it's a rather simple uh, method of mm-hmm. obtaining very very useful uh, mm-hmm. results mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, of course, as any scientific method uh, there is a very wide set of parameters that we need to optimize in order to obtain the desired result. A laser system has a set of parameters, its a power, its a number of pulses, wavelength uh, that we use, um, pulse duration and all sorts of parameters that we have to simultaneously optimize. Uh, So it's uh, easy, but at the same time, you (laughs) you need to be careful about (laughs) Uh, it. Tell me,
1: uh, Maria, uh, you are are involved in a European project. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about it.
0: Yes, it's a European project about the development of thin film and efficient solar cells. Uh, We are collaborating with a group from France and another group from Russia. Mm -hmm. Uh, in uh, building these uh, thin-film and efficient uh, solar cells. Uh, We are mainly working on thin-film silicon solar cells. Uh, Silicon is uh, the material of choice for uh, today's solar cells. Our uh, collaborators in France are working with organic solar cells, so making uh, solar cells from organic materials that you can synthesize in the lab. Uh, and uh, all together, we are trying to exchange ideas and know-how on and
1: find different ways you can. Uh... Uh, do this achieve
0: uh, achieve this result result, exactly so this is funded
1: something uh, that uh, is good for a situation is not good for others exactly depending
0: on the application maybe one would prefer to use an inorganic uh, solar cell such Mm as a silicon one or an organic solar cell uh, such as uh, the ones our collaborators are making okay
1: last question Uh, would you like to give an advice to the young people that come to Researcher's
0: Night. Yes, of course, and I hope we will have many young people uh, this year, as we had uh, (laughs) in the previous years. Uh, I would like to tell them that uh, it's a great opportunity, Researcher's Night is a great opportunity for them to see what's happening in research centers and to get a glimpse uh, of the future because Mm -hmm. the fundamental research that we perform today in research centers and universities, it's building the technology of tomorrow, of the next 50 or 100 years. So this way they will see what our visions are, where we want to take medicine, technology, space exploration, all these things. And uh, I think they should also start contemplating whether they would like to follow a research career. Uh, They shouldn't uh, see it as a decision they have to make right now. Uh, first they have to choose the field they love. Maybe it's physics, maybe it's chemistry, maybe it's history or whatever. music or something else. And they should start their studies and uh, then I think one decides whether they want to continue uh, for a PhD, for postgraduate studies. And uh, once you are doing a PhD, then you see how research is from the inside. You become a young researcher. And I think that uh, near the end of your PhD, you know whether you want to do this for life or not. So they should take it one step at a time, but definitely follow what they like.
1: I wish you all the best uh, in your research.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you very much.